Welcome to Real Talk, real estate discussions with Andrew Kirsch. In each episode, Andrew interviews industry leaders. We'll hear their real-time opinions on today's market, their background and unique career highlights, and guidance for newcomers into the industry. You can find this show at skalalkirsch.com and on YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Now here's the host of Real Talk, Andrew Kirsch. Episode 19 of Real Talk. I was out for a few weeks. Uh, one, because of my kids' spring break. But the other reason is the end of the first quarter was actually extremely busy. It reminded me of the end of, uh, of a calendar year. Uh, this time, it was because of the ULA tax that was um, imposed uh, back in November. And its commencement date, effective date, is April 1st or was April 1st. So a lot of transactions needed to close by March 31st. We were busy both on the buy side and sell side, mainly in the office sector. Uh, vacant office, uh, one was an office to resi conversion and another was a large office uh, transaction here in West LA where the play is either a conversion to uh, resi, conversion to medical, uh, or just draft from the the demand of Century City Office, which is at an all-time low vacancy, really because of the migration of law firms and financial services firms leaving downtown because of the rise in homelessness and uh, and crime. Um, you know, with this ULA tax, I really got to give it to the city of LA, and uh, and I say that facetiously. Um, I don't think there has been one law uh, or ballot measure that has been passed that could do more. Uh, detrimental effect to, to the city. Um, the more private equity groups I talk to, the more lenders that I talk to are literally putting a red line through transactions, meaning they're done with the city of LA for now. Um, it's it's just a significant hit, a significant hit. And as one per person said, uh, the city of, of LA is now your partner on the equity side uh, for a substantial piece. Um, this is this is not going to be good for the city, and I think their expectation of raising as much money to fight homelessness and help affordable housing is going to uh, actually produce the opposite effect. It's it's going to exacerbate it because there's going to be less commerce, less uh, economic activity uh, in the city. You know, transactions are still getting done though. We're 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 active throughout the country. Uh, we're doing multifamily deals from Vancouver, Washington, down to San Antonio, Tennessee, Florida. A new one just in St. Louis. We're, uh, surgery surgery center in Austin. Uh, industrial development in in LA. Uh, hotel development in Vegas. So things are getting done, just not at the pace that we were used to in 21 or 22. And simply put we're probably not going to get there for, for a while. Um, the expectation is after, after the summer uh, vacation time, uh, when we come back third quarter, fourth quarter, things will pick up. People recognize that they do need to transact and equity does need to be deployed. So we'll see. In this episode, I have a very fascinating conversation with Hamo Rustamian, the CEO and founder of NetVested. And we talk about the intersection of real estate and technology, transportation and energy. And Hamo uh, is building uh, and partnering with Tesla and other energy fuel efficient uh, car companies um, uh, in charging stations, Tesla charging stations, hydrogen fuel 
uh, gas stations and traditional fossil fuel stations uh, and the intermix between between that service along with um, uh, restaurants and retail uh, and convenience stores. And he talks about where he's building strategically, where he's building uh, the uh, and other what he calls necessitale re real estate. Um, and you'll hear from him besides those uh, charging stations, what he believes is one of the most critically underserved uh, retail components uh, in our industry. I think you'll find our conversation with Hamo uh, interesting and hope you enjoy it. Hello, welcome to another edition of Real Talk. I am here with Hamo Rostamian, the CEO of NetVested Capital. Hamo, how are you today? Fantastic. Great to be with you and the audience, whoever is listening out there. It's a very exciting time to uh, talk about what is uh, going on with us and, you know, with the uh, with the world with respect to uh, real estate uh, in general. Yeah, well, you say whoever's listening. Uh, I, hopefully it's millions and millions of people by now. Yeah. Um, but Hamo, for, for those that aren't familiar with NetVested Capital, why don't you give them a background as to your company? Certainly uh, glad to do that. Uh, NetVested Capital was launched last year, actually, uh, as a natural progression of uh, certainly my career. I'm celebrating 40 years now in the business. And uh, my partner, Eileen Sarkisian, has been with me for over 20 years. Uh, and some other uh, others who have joined us uh, over the years, but uh, really, uh, you know, my my uh, legacy and our background is in helping uh, occupiers, particularly in the uh, retail arena uh, and food concepts, over the years, uh, and and helping them accelerate their store count and presence. So we're very very proud of of uh, this legacy that has helped. So many uh, uh, corporate, you know, entities as well as uh, entrepreneurs who've, who've succeeded. Um, so we we actually started um, years ago in the uh, retail brokerage business and created a platform uh, originally at Grubin Ellis, who is not there anymore, but uh, eventually with Sieber Richard Ellis um, up to 2006, and during which time we created a platform. Uh, which really evolved into a full-service uh, uh, spectrum of um, concepts, ideas, and, and assistance to uh, conceptualize, uh, um, you know, opportunities uh, holistically for occupiers. And then, obviously, that became, um, in most cases, a, either a power center or some uh, some formation of shopping center. Um, but it was a, a, pr a pretty uh, exciting. A platform. Um, and in 2002, we actually did something very magical, which was never done before. We uh, became an extension of Target Corporation in Southern California uh, at a time that Target really uh, was uh, really struggling to expand their footprint um, in their new formats. And we were very uh, fortunate to, to meet and team up with the real estate director at the time. Um, and between 2002 and 2008, we um, essentially uh, created opportunities where Target opened 17 stores and, with about a 8 million uh, square feet of an ancillary other tenants around the, the, these stores. Um, now, did you, sorry to intervene, but did you do that 
as a broker or as uh, an owner of those Target stores? No, we we uh, never owned any any real estate. It was actually an agreement that we had not to uh, participate. Uh, but we did provide um, pretty much anything from calibration of consumer behavior and psychographics that really uh, were then eventually uh, confirmed by Target, and you know uh, finally they made a decision, of course, on those locations. But I think more critically, it was really functioning as a full service. Uh, developer uh, team pretty much uh, and then taking those projects to target and eventually <clears throat> to a, a developer who uh, we obviously have a lot of good uh, friends in in the business uh, who then executed on the project from a physical point of view but i mentioned that because um it really our business has uh, uh, evolved into uh it, you know a lot more than transaction um i think um, and then in 2006, we uh, started Strategic Development Advisors, which is still our legacy company, <clears throat> continuing to do very much the same. And then um, uh, it, I think it was uh, two, uh, 2010, uh, we started HRI Development uh, as, a, as a second entity that kind of was harmonizing with, it, uh, with SDA. So we've then, uh, since then, we've executed on uh, multiples of uh, single tenant projects in um, in the retail and food uh, category. Um, and last year, we kind of completed the platform by adding the capital markets component, whereby we are raising funds uh, and equity uh, and capital to execute on projects. So it is extremely unusual, I think, to find a platform where you have everything from concept uh, calibration of uh, opportunities and, and real estate itself, all the way to uh, executing on projects, completing and occupying them, um, which really gives us a very unique, um, uh, I believe, presence uh, now uh, in the in the capital markets arena, where our funds are able to uh, actually very quickly place money and not really wait for uh, opportunities to be presented because we have a continuity of, of uh, pipeline uh, projects that really are, are need, in need of uh, uh, execution. So are your, the projects that you're developing now, which you are in the ownership of and, and raising funds to develop, uh, or I should say, are your projects mostly or exclusively ground up development, um, triple net retail deals? Yes, that is that is our uh, that is our philosophy um, in populating uh, the, the pipeline as well as where the, the funds are invested. Uh, so we have coined a, a term which is a bit comical, but it's 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 known as necessitale, and it's kind of combination of retail and necessity uh, because um, I think in I think in most conversations retail becomes very generic. Uh, so as a as an asset category, I think it becomes very convoluted because you have such variety of risk and, and reward in, in those asset types. But we have always focused on what is necessity. And so that would be your grocer, your pharmacy, your child care, um, you know, all of your fast food drive through concepts that are proven. Um, and obviously, um, you know, the fitness category, which a lot of people have reservations about, but we do consider that as a necessity. 
Sure. Um, well, necessity yeah. retail. I mean, I had a uh, a podcast um, with Jim Dillavu of Paragon um, a couple months ago, and you know, in talking about necessity retail today with capital, um, it has become a, one of the most favored asset classes uh, in real estate. You know, everyone, um, you know, multifamily, uh, you know, is having certain issues. Uh, uh, office, obviously, uh, significant issues uh, with office. And, you know, the view for many years is that retail had so many headwinds from, uh, you know, online shopping um, to the expense of uh, tenanting um, uh, and paying tenant improvements. And now there's a shift, at least with respect to necessity retail, where a lot of equity feel that they are under allocated to that asset class. That's correct. Um, I, I think uh, in, in a very unfortunate way, I think COVID proved that, um, you know, where you saw, you know, uh, many communities that have been up in arms about drive-throughs. I mean, they realized, uh, you know, in the political arena and, and in sort of activism arena, particularly in California, I think most people realize that if, if it was not for the drive-through concepts that many of these necessity uh, items, uh, you know, would, would, would be very difficult to access. Um, so I think there is uh, certainly a, a, just a very solid recognition now uh, to that category. Um, you know, one of the things that we, uh, we've always said, you know, in our sort of, uh, in our circles is that, um, you know, while the internet uh, commerce certainly has a, a very strong position and, and it, it, that is a, on its own necessity, but the, in the evolution of the, the marriage between brick and mortar and, and the internet commerce it is uh, inevitable that many of the internet concepts, you know, would eventually have to occupy brick and mortar. And I, I think that's been proven now with certainly Amazon, um, you know, making headway in occupying um, space uh, in, in other stores and eventually having acquired, for example, Whole Foods uh, in our market and now, you know, really making a big push with the Amazon Fresh. So. I think it's all going to be evolving into a, a sort of a balance. And within that balance, we really feel very strongly that uh, I think a, a very substantial uh, arena for success lies with necessity-based uh, retail. Um, so, so let's drill down a bit because uh, still necessity-based retail can still be broad. So what are the types of tenants or specific tenants that you own in your portfolio that that uh, of the real estate um and locations um so we we've always uh, been very focused on um again a balance between drive-through concepts we've um you know been engaged with uh, starbucks and multiple uh, opportunities for example we've been very successful with them uh grocery outlet for example is a is a re, you know obviously regional a name that is really growing in popularity. And uh, I think a lot of people 
that have not been into a grocery outlet, for example, in our market, when they go in and they see, you know, the philosophy behind the merchandising, which is really um, a value-oriented shopping experience, but it is uh, driven by a very strong uh, acquisition of product category uh, strategy, where they, you know, have uh, more limited sort of uh, varieties of the same products, but they offer very good price and very high quality. Um, so we we favor uh, these concepts, for example, uh, a grocery outlet, uh, where we do see that, <clears throat> that they're gaining strength in a very particular uh, segment of, of the retailing. Um, but I wanted to also not forget to mention that our substantial amount of our focus right now is on what we call the fueling stations of the future. And I think that's a subject I wanted to share with you uh, very passionately because with what is going on with the uh, evolution of uh, powering vehicles, um, I think that is certainly from our perspective uh, going to be a very strong category. So we see that as a necessity as well. Sure. Um, so these, these fueling stations, are you owning the real estate and leasing them to operators of the fueling stations or are you part of the ownership of the fueling station uh, of the operations itself the the cash flow from the from the business of of fueling stations um so we magically uh sort of teamed up with tesla in, in our market um again out of necessity uh, in a different sort of uh, uh, i guess definition but um we very quickly realized that um the the ev uh, sort of charging arena is really going to be uh crystallized into uh formats um in the past seven to ten years i think uh, ev charging has become uh, more and more you know needed and, and really moving into the necessity category uh, for various reasons which we can touch on but the evidence is that um, many of the larger uh, companies, particularly the oil companies, and I, I don't know uh, if you've heard, but uh, just a few days ago, uh, Shell Oil purchased uh, Volta, which was one of the, uh, the brand names uh, that, that was, uh, had a substantial position. So I think the oil companies, for example, realized that what we are talking about, which is these fueling stations of the future, really has to be comprehensive. Um, and not, not, not that you really want to uh, uh, necessarily give up on fossil fuel. And I, I think they're, again, like internet commerce, you know, it doesn't have to be one or the other. I think it's kind of balanced out to include all, everything. So, um, for example, we have a project that we're going to start construction shortly uh, along the five uh, Interstate 5. Uh, in the Fraser Park community, uh, going uh, you know, basically from um, away from LA to towards Bakersfield, that, that's a, a pretty large mountain community, and it's a travel center. Mm -hmm. uh, so there, you know, we are doing a, a traditional uh, gas station format with a very large food and and uh, a convenience component. Uh, with and I cannot mention the the operator or the brand name, but um it's a but is this a lease this is a a, a lease where you yes, will own the real estate yes, and yes. Lease. So, 
That's correct. So we basically the fund is is uh, uh, investing in these properties uh, with uh, very substantial credit uh, occupiers, uh, long term leases. Um, and so we're essentially utilizing our platform to identify, secure, you know, execute on these projects and, and with the investors that we have and essentially uh, enjoy the benefits. Um, but in this case, uh, you know, imagine a four acre site where you have, um, you know, a traditional a state of the art, uh, uh, essentially fossil fuel, basically called gas station with a major, um, you know, very large building that uh, provides, you know, all the C store components plus, you know, very luxurious restrooms and so forth. Um, and then with that, um, we're actually opening a 120 uh, stall charging station for Tesla. So it is a uh, it is a, a very new sort of arena, but um, and it's not a necessarily a, an easy uh, product to put together. Sure. We feel very strongly that this will become uh, a new model for these what we call the fueling stations of the future because um, it, it's just going to happen, you know, uh, very quickly. When when you um, identify locations for this particular project, whether this specifically or others in the future and in general, do you close on the project? When you close on the project, do you already have these key tenants, whether it's Tesla or the fossil fuel uh, tenant or the restaurant uh, convenience store tenant already signed up? Or are you specking it where you're buying, closing on the land and then hoping to get the tenants? So we've never we've never done a speculative project. Mm -hmm. um, it is always that we have our leases in place. Um, it is possible that sometimes we don't have uh, maybe our uh, building permits uh, on hand, but entitlements and uh, entitlements and leases are always a, an absolute must. So uh, we don't close on properties until we have those two. Sure. Um, and because these are easily uh, and usually a single tenant or maybe two tenants. I mean, it, these are not going to be multi-tenant, very large multi-tenant shopping centers. We are categorizing these as uh, single uh, tenant leased assets. So uh, all of these, we have five of these right now that are in execution. And I think we have like 17 that are in different you know, consideration, uh, stages of consideration. So but, you're capitalizing the deal by buying the land um, but how much of the improvements from the fueling station to the retail component are you providing capital towards? Um, I, I'd say majority of these concepts are going to be um, where we pretty much deliver the infrastructure and the, the finishes. Um, in the case of Tesla or any other uh, EV partner we may have uh, or tenant we may have, um, typically they, you know, bring in their infrastructure. We obviously assist with the process and make sure the product and the uh, guest experience is perfect. Um, and in the case of dealing with, let's say, a, uh, a gas station occupier, uh, typically our arrangements are reverse built to suit. So we. 
Uh, we don't, do not want to interfere with uh, the technology uh, or the techn technical aspects of uh, building a, a fueling station. I think that's something uh, that could be done much better by the operators. Um, so essentially, uh, we finance it in, in a reverse mode. Um, so we provide, you know, the the capital or the uh, the dollars, but uh, they do it, and then we we basically own it. And what's the time um, from the time you close and you have full entitlements to build to it being ready for business? More on the the fuel uh, EV side, um, how long does it take to build those out? It's actually very quick. Um, you know, once we have uh, the entitlements, and what what benefits I think we have in in space today in this particular uh, time moment in time is that um, I think we have very strong uh, political and activist uh, winds that are uh, beneath our wings because you typically are fighting something as a developer. But in this case, I think the, the political winds are completely in our favor because, again, we're just responding to um, all the um, excitement about um, clean energy uh, and we're responding to the, to the popularity of, of this type of uh, energy. So um, it, it would be probably about a year typically that it would take. Uh, so it's compared to a, a shopping center ground up, I'd say uh, certainly a lot faster. And so what's... Um... In terms of the the capital, uh, you you've raised a fund or in the process of raising a fund for these types of investments and your other net uh, investments, uh, and that's on the equity side. What type of uh, debt financing is there for the construction of these types of um, uh, fuel sites? So we have a a very strong uh, you know uh, reputation with um, the, type of, the type of construction lenders that this requires. And these are uh, typically the bridge construction lenders. Um, and uh, we sometimes are able to go all the way to 85, 90% uh, loan, to, loan to cost. Um, uh, depending on the, the complexion of our investors that we, we have with us at that particular time, you know, we, we sometimes do consider um, a lower uh, uh, loan to cost. But uh, I would say that we have a, I mean, we have half a dozen uh, relationships right now that are very excited about providing the construction loans for these projects. And so I think we're in a very good spot. Mm -hmm. What type of return on cost are you projecting? Or you could be general if you want. Um, for this type of asset class versus, you know, building a Starbucks or building uh, uh, any other tri more traditional triple net necessity retail? Um, you know, we typically want to be um, 150 to 200 basis points above our exit cap rates, uh, which are a little bit difficult nowadays. Uh, you know, we've sold some of our uh, products, you know, as recent as year and a half, two years ago, at like below four percent cap rate. 
Um, and, and right now, I think we're uh, more realistically uh, probably even for the uh, the, cl the class of assets, we're talking about the, the very high des highly desirable uh, type of products with triple net leases and so forth. Even with that, I think you're going to be, you know, somewhere in the five and a quarter, maybe, um, maybe five and a half. So, um, you know, we, we keep track of that and, you know, we try to be 150 or 200 base points above that. Um, and with leverage, obviously, that enhances the returns. So, um, you know, we're very uh, responsive to um, our, our investors and, you know, what is the comfort zone. Um, but because of the structure we have and because of the, the type of product we're dealing with, we're, we're able to maneuver, you know, up and down the spectrum on the returns. Um, so in terms of location, and um, you mentioned this, this particular location uh, on the way to Bakersfield. Um, are you focusing on more remote areas that are, um, you know, in between metropolitan cities, whether it's, you know, LA Bakersfield, LA Santa Barbara, LA Palm Springs, San Diego, where the land I assume would, you know, has a pretty low cost comparative to building, you know, in the central uh, part of, of metropolitan cities? Um, actually, um, the biggest uh, percentage of our, our targeted sites are in infill areas. Okay. Some of them are extremely uh, high grade as far as land. Um, and, and really, we have to respond to the demographic, psychographic, and traffic patterns of this particular uh, uh, type of consumer or, or, or guest, we call them. Um, so, for example, we have a project where it's an extremely uh, desirable in a very, you know, high-grade location across from one of the major um, one of the major attractions uh, in the you know greater LA area. Um, and we're actually probably going to end up building a, a very high-end uh, market as a co-tenant. Uh, so where, where, where Tesla, for example, would be co-tenanting with uh, a tenant like that. So it's really, you know, we look for exactly where um, our uh, occupiers want to be. Uh, obviously, we want to make sure the real estate is first class. Um, for longevity, but um, I think that the travel centers, what we call the, that's the first one I described to you really is more of a travel center, we call it. Um, but uh, I think majority of the projects are going to be uh, very, very in fill. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, it, it's, I think it's an, it's a time we find ourselves to, to be most creative I've ever been. Um, and we really are excited about the opportunity to really bring out this potential, uh, you know, potentials for these properties that um, otherwise would be uh, maybe even looked at for multifamily or, or some other type of product. Um, I remember when you and I were sitting um, at dinner uh, at the IMN conference in Laguna what, in January, so it's now been a few months, you know, you were telling me about hydrogen cars right and and i'm not a 
car guy, I'm not a technology guy. I drive a fossil fuel car, so I'm a bit of a dinosaur. Um, so I guess tell me first, you know, how did you get into, um, you know, this, what, what, what's driving your, your, um, uh, interest in, in technology and automotive in fuel efficient cars, and then what your opinion is on, um, on the technology of, of transportation. Uh, I mean, for years I've been going to conferences about how self-driving cars uh, are going to be uh, absolutely the wave of the future. And if you would have believed these people uh, five years ago, eight years ago, when I was at these conferences, it should have been here by now. And I don't feel, I feel like we're not even any closer. Um, I don't know, so what, just what's your opinion? I know it's a, a lot in that question, but just if you can give me uh, your thoughts on, on, on that. Certainly, um, you know, my philosophy has always been that we, we have to be pragmatic and, and realistic, um, but be open to, you know, ideas, whether they're new or some maybe sometimes bring forward some older ideas, but really be open to creative ideas where it really improves the human experience in any every way. Um, so obviously, you know, we, we uh, depending on where we are physically, I think transportation is de definitely a substantial component in human experience. So the, our attachment to our transportation modes uh, is something to be always uh, be considered and, and it's an opportunity always to improve uh, and, and uh, refine. Um, and I'm probably the, the kind of an interesting example of that because, you know, I drive a hydrogen fuel uh, vehicle, right, for my daily needs. At the same time, um, on, on the weekends, you know, I hop in, in a Hummer. Uh, on, on, <laughs> sorry. So a I have Humvee, a, I'm sorry, I laughed. Oh, you drive what on the weekends? Humvee? Humvee, yeah. So I have a Humvee. Yeah. It's a military. Uh, so you have two extremes. You have the most efficient yeah, so, car out and, there. And, <laughs> yeah, so I that. And then, you know, if I want even go, you know, more fun, I, I, I drive, you know, the, the Porsche 4S. Uh, which is, you know, a manual, you know, antique, you know, Porsche. But I think the point is that, um, you know, boxing ourselves in, in concepts or ideas um, as futuristic as it may be or as old as it may be is very limiting. So to that end, you know, I think when we are in the investment arena, we need to be conscious of what is, re what is pragmat pragmatic and what is real. Um, and that also has to include uh, opportunity for creative ideas or new ideas. So I think, again, the, the fueling stations are a very good example because, you know, I think we, we certainly have to be careful um, not to give up entirely on a fossil fuel because I think it will be there. Certainly it would be less, maybe more refined. But I think the, uh, for example, uh, the hydrogen uh, fuel cell concept uh, a third or fourth fourth car in that arena uh, so I support that uh, and I think you know eventually uh, we might have some challenges with creating electricity in, in the volumes that we're talking about so uh, having a self-sustaining uh, concept like a fuel cell uh, where you don't have to rely on the grid 
uh, eventually will be taking hold. Um, so, you know, it, it's just, I think, again, uh, I think all of us have to kind of always think about, you know, how when we're investing, you know, where is that going with respect to um, the spectrum of human experience? How much traction do you get from your fund investors when you are talking about investing in real estate projects where the end user uh, are these, you know, fuel fuel efficient uh, uh, cars and 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 other, um, you know, f- modern technology uh, uses um, versus your more traditional brick and mortar uses like a like a Starbucks or a grocery store. Um, there is a lot of excitement. No, no, there's no doubt about it. Um, um, I think the the reason we find ourselves in a very unique position is that we we are in the forefront and we have the platform to execute. Um, I think uh, many other uh, friends of ours, you know, are in development arena. Um, it, it would probably take them a good amount of time to to figure out, you know, what needs to be done or how, how to approach this, but. Um, there is on the investor side, there's a lot of excitement. Certainly there is some apprehension as well, because, you know, when you talk about the exit cap rates for products uh, like this, um, you know, it's just not plenty, you know, of ca- comparables out there. But um, principally speaking, uh, if the returns are attractive, which they are, and that you are in the forefront, um, and that, you know, we're not really uh, building a lot of buildings on these projects. Uh, I think it makes it very compelling. Um, so we're excited and hopeful that, you know, very quickly we can actually um, have a very substantial uh, portfolio. Yeah, no, it's very exciting stuff. Uh, uh, and to be on the cutting edge of, of um, both real estate and technology and transportation definitely um, you know, forward thinking and, and, and mindful of, of the next many generations of how we're going to use real estate, especially as we're seeing, you know, office in downtown LA become completely obsolete, large, um, uh, shopping centers, uh, intern inside shopping centers becoming obsolete. And so to, as real estate owners and stewards of capital to be, uh, forward thinking as to, you know, users of real estate over the next 20, 40, 60, 100 years. Um, it's a credit to you, Hamo. Um, are you ready for the uh, uh, world-class or world-famous uh, lightning round of uh, Real Talk? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anytime. Anytime. We're, uh, we're looking forward to it. And, um... uh, well, here, here, let me give you the lightning round questions. Okay. Yeah. So quick so quick answers to, to the next few questions, and then we'll wrap up. All right. Uh, what is your favorite, or what do you think is the best fuel cell hydrogen car out there? Um, I think the one that I have, uh, which is the, the, the Hyundai Nexo, uh, it's the only SUV actually that is available. So I think if someone is uh, really looking for uh, all four corners of the experience, I think that's a that's a uh, 
a very good candidate. They actually stopped making that in 2022 for a one-year pause, but I, I understand it's coming back in 20, 2024 with an improved fuel stack. So that was, fuel stack was a problem uh, they, they had. And again, with any new technology, you know, it takes actual human experience, you know, over and over with it to prove itself. So um, I'm hopeful that when they come back uh, a year from now, that it would be a, a lot better. What's uh, one submarket or location that you have not transacted in that you would love to be able to find a deal uh, and transact in? Yeah, we are uh, actually excited to to basically go into uh, the Arizona market. So I think the, the Houston area uh, um, um, and maybe Flagstaff. I mean, some some of the areas that uh, we really are seeing that. Uh, some of the new concepts, you know, would have a lot of receptivity and it's needed. So we are looking for expanding outside California as soon as possible. Um, besides transportation, which we've spoken about uh, a lot, what segment within necessity retail um, do you feel is here to stay and nothing can uh, you know, penetrate it uh, from COVID to the internet. Uh, what, 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 what would you bet on in terms of a sub asset class within necessity retail? So, you know, we see um, one, one, one category I really want to emphasize is childcare. I think. Oh, interesting. Similar yeah. to similar to uh, electric charging. Um, you know, my partner, Eileen, uh, that I mentioned, she's very much into following and predicting and forecasting, um, you know, human behavior. And, um, you know, we really are seeing that um, generally speaking, uh, child care is going to become actually a necessity well beyond what we have today. Um, for example, we were building uh, uh, for a concept called the learning experience, and there's obviously others out there uh, similar to them. But um, you know, this this concept is about 10,000 square feet. It's about 13,000 feet of playground, and they offer infant service. So imagine, you know, as we again look at uh, couples that are both working professionally, um, and they really want to have a kid, you know, and so forth. It's a and they may not have uh, necessarily the uh, the generational support that, for, for example, we've experienced from parents and grandparents. Um, you know, something like that, where you can actually, if you need to, be able to uh, have uh, a concept that takes care of your infant. Even, you know, that becomes uh, actually a, a very strong uh, necessity category. So I think you're going to see uh, childcare becoming an asset class. Um, from an institutional perspective very quickly. Um, and I think there are opportunities there as well on the investment side. Sure. Uh, look, you're, you're speaking to a father of two young kids, an eight-year-old yeah. and a six-year-old. And my peers who have similar age kids, it's, um, there can't, there's not enough uh, uh, child-focused real estate programming uh, from infancy all the way through you know, grade school um, and, it, and then it evolves even to uh, recreational 
uh, activities, recreational sports, uh, a client, uh, I just represented a client in acquiring a, a completely vacant office building with subterranean retail. It, it used to be a gym right here in uh, Century City adjacent, Beverly Hills adjacent. And things that we're talking about of, uh, of utilizing that basement space really goes towards kids and, and youth sports and maybe childcare. And, um, and so, you know, talking about obsolete real estate and turning it into uh, childcare or youth programming is, is one uh, really uh, creative way to, to transition real estate. And hearing you say it, uh, um, you know, it, uh, it, it, it speaks volumes of, I think, an underserved, but yet necessity retail. Yes. For sure. Well, Hamo, I really appreciate you coming on to Real Talk. It's, you know, we've had a lot of guests on where we talk about, you know, your traditional asset classes, but to spend, you know, a few minutes talking about um, uh, really exciting things in real estate and the combination of real estate and technology and transportation um it's it, it's exciting stuff of what you're doing and um thank you for coming on and best of luck to you and uh all of the projects that that you have going on well thank you so much and again we're happy to come back anytime um you know and there, there is no limit to uh you know uh, i think creativity and in, in, uh, in the human experience so we're excited and uh look forward to uh again speaking with you and whoever else is interested, we're always available. Great. Thank you, Hamo. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Real Talk, real estate discussions with Andrew Kirsch. You can catch prior episodes at scalarkirsch.com and on YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Thank you for your positive reviews, comments, and for sharing the show with others.